Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Good afternoon, good evening, good whatever, good whomever, good whoever I may find you. Welcome to episode 142 of Agitators Anonymous. I'm Alan Averill, your hostess with the very leastest of all. Greetings to you on this Friday from a cold, rainy and windy Dublin. Apologies for the slight delay in the podcast today. Um, I changed tack a little bit. I had something else recorded and then decided at the last moment, nah, nah, let's talk about something else. Let's talk about some music. About something I could at least maybe argue succinctly that I know, well, a tiny bit more than I do about geopolitics, for example. But it's something that people still ask me. Uh, When do you know when a song is a song? And seeing as right now we are in the middle of preparing the new Primordial album, it's going to be recorded in a couple of months, um, I thought I'd make a part one and a part two podcast about, um, you know, the songwriting process, how to prepare. Um, And then in the second one, I'll talk about getting your ducks in a row, so to say, with the platforms or booking or all that kind of thing. So if you're out there and you're in a band... And maybe you'll pick up a few tips. Maybe you think I'm antiquated and ancient and from a different uh, world. Or maybe you're just curious about the process of how writing a song or being in a band goes when it's getting down to crunch time, to that moment where you're actually going to start recording the songs and then put them out there for people to hear. You can follow me at nemthiang underscore primordial over on Instagram or TikTokgram, as it should now be called. Uh, I think the algorithm is dragging us to a new place of evil there. It is barely the same platform I recognize from beginning and getting interested in just posting a few pictures. But anyway, that's a whole different argument. Or on Primordial underscore official, if you want to go over there, there's um, an orchestral version of the Primordial song As Rome Burns, which kind of came somewhere out of the blue. Um, A guy called Hristo Panev. Sorry, Hristo, if I got your first name wrong. Uh, A composer, a soundtrack kind of guy just sort of sent it to us and went, here, what do you think of this? And so you might be hearing that here and there. It's going to go up on my YouTube channel. Um, You can just search my name and you'll go and find various videos of this and that. 
You have the Metal Salvage series of videos, which is me and Joe from Gamma Bomb just talking nonsense about heavy metal um, and having a drink or two. Uh, those are quite entertaining in a sort of, you know, light entertainment kind of way. So go over and subscribe to the YouTube channel and you can have a look for that as Rome Burns uh, song, amongst other things. Now, you may forgive that the usual dulcet tones that I have feel a bit ragged um, and roughshod today. For some reason, I'm having some problems with my voice. So if I sound like I'm underwater, because I certainly sound like I'm underwater to me, well, then I do apologise for that. But aren't we all going to be underwater soon anyway? So it's something that people still ask me. When do you know a song is a song? When do you know that it's finished? When do you know it's getting near to completion? Um, when do you know if something is a good idea or not when songwriting? And how can you prepare to understand that? I'm not exactly sure you can, but I'm going to try and waffle for the next 30 or 40 minutes to see if we can get greater or closer to some kind of understanding of how we measure those things. Because one of the biggest skills... Um, you can acquire over the years of being a musician or being in a band is the ability to know when something is a good or a bad idea, when to follow your intuition, when to run with the ball or when to um, hold your hand up and go, OK, look, we've wasted enough time on this. Um, let's move on to something else. So I thought I'd take today to discuss songwriting and what you can do. Or maybe I'm just talking to myself anyway, but what I can do to be prepared and how I have uh, tried to prepare in the past and, you know, maybe things I've done wrong or things I've done right um, and the different things we can do to be in the frame of mind, the creative frame of mind. A bit of a vague podcast, but to be honest, I'm really not quite in the mood for politics today and I'm sure you aren't either. So let's spare us both that rod to our backs um, and let's talk about music. Seeing as Primordial is at the moment writing songs for a new album and we're in the process of preparing, it seems like a good moment to be able to um, sort of, you know, poke my head above the parapet and discuss how that is going or how one approaches that. Scene one, rehearsing. Um, one thing most people who are, who've been in bands for a while now, if you're young and you're starting off in your band, you probably haven't uh, got to this place yet because you're full of energy and enthusiasm and excitement. I would hope to try and be in a room with other people and rehearse. Now, I'm going to talk about the pitfalls of rehearsing online in a moment. But as you get older, it gets harder and harder to rehearse every week. So how can I put it? You need to have a gun at the gunfight and not bring a knife if you get me. In Irish, we say, be a golov. It means be prepared in Irish, in what you would call Gaelic. Let's discuss preparation. Because we all need to be prepared. That's, um, you know, be, what do they say? Fail to prepare, prepare to fail, etc. Because if you show up unprepared, the chances of something fruitful happening um, are, you know, much less. There's just a far less chance of that happening. Now, we all have the perfect time to write a song um, in our heads. So I have this, I have this perfect vision. And it might never happen for you, but I often have these ideas in my head that for this new album, I'll find a desolate cottage somewhere along the Atlantic coast of Ireland, the, the waves lapping against some desolate beach. Um, you know, I'll stock up on wood, they'll set a huge fire, I'll draw on some whiskey and stroll the forest at midnight. And with so much inspiration, I won't know how to contain it. Now, that might actually, in theory, be feasible. It might actually be possible and probably something I should um, be looking into doing as opposed to talking to you right here. Um, and, you know, we could say it's been obsessing my squirrel, my lizard, squirrel, lizard. Well, my lizard brain for the last few weeks. 
to find a place to get away to write. But very often things don't really work like that. <laughs> so I would say this about songwriting. We live in a very distracting world. So if you can find a place of solace or relative solitude to write where the brain is uncluttered, this can really help a lot. As an example, Promoter used to rehearse in this industrial estate on the outskirts of Dublin. I'm a really horrible place, which used to take me 90 minutes, sometimes more, 120 minutes to get to. Take two different, we call them, uh, well, Lewis's. It's the tram in Dublin. Um, two different Lewis's, fair bit of walking, um, you know, and you'd have to walk into the middle of an industrial estate. There'd be burnt out cars. Uh, plenty of things on fire, you know, gangs of um, irritated young youths standing on street corners asking you, what the fuck are you doing here, buddy? Um, not exactly, but it was just a really horrible place to go to. Now, you might think maybe, wow, how come you didn't come out with some raging D-beat hardcore biohazard urban discipline style album? Well, we didn't. The rooms were whitewashed and small, and we didn't have our own gear, and there were small, crappy amps, and nothing of note ever happened there. I don't remember writing a song there, because it was completely uninspiring. Why did we go there? Because everyone was driving, well, except me, obviously, but what that rehearsal space was, was we'd become um, slaves to convenience. It was kind of equidistant for everybody driving. It meant they didn't have to go into the city, park their car, um, and we found it um, basically because of its geographical location. But convenience is not the key to songwriting. It was a really uh, uninspiring place. And like I said, nothing of note ever happened there. It's a kind of cliche, but as soon as we moved uh, to the place we are in right now, which you can see in the primordial To Hell or The Hangman video, things started to happen. A place with atmosphere in the countryside where you could step outside and breathe fresh air. There's a roaring fire, there's old vaulted ceilings, and it wasn't more expensive than the previous place. But instantly, what you did is you found a place where you could write, play and rehearse. And you felt, okay, we're in this room together. It's us locked in from the outside world. Um, and that's a very important place to try and find if you were able to, to write. Because I think that to be able to find somewhere where you can lock yourself in from the outside world and fully concentrate in a world where we're so f everything is so full of distraction right now to try and find somewhere where you can con uh, you know unclutter your mind is quite difficult i personally for example can't just write lyrics uh, sitting in front of the desktop here like i am right now there's too many distractions there's too many things on the wall there's too many reasons to end up watching something dumb on youtube or checking your email or you know just watching nonsense um, if you can approach writing songs kind of like an escape from the day-to-day, -day, I would say to try and find a place to go and write. It's not easy with a guitar, um, but if you have a cool jam room, if you're lucky enough to have a place where you can hang your own stuff or your own pictures or posters um, and try and make it your own, fill it with something to make it your own. And then if you're writing on the guitar, I would say try and show up a few hours earlier before the rest of the band get there and get your ideas down and get yourself settled into being in that room so you can have an idea before everyone else arrives. That's what I always liked to do when I was playing the guitar, playing the bass or writing riffs, was to try and arrive with an idea, but also to be just left alone with the amp and the noise in the room, to be able to just settle into the idea that you are in this room, you're not going to be checking your phone all the time to try and put that away and concentrate. 
and concentrate at a time in a world where we really have so many distractions that make it very, very difficult. Well, I'm saying these things because I am advocating also for uh, rehearsing in a room with people. I don't really, and I've said this many times in interviews and many times before, but I don't advocate rehearsing online or just sending each other sound files. I don't think this is how you make metal. I don't think this is how you make rock music. If this is how you write songs because of distance, then it is what it is. What can we do? But I think even if you are writing from distance, it's good to arrange to meet in the rehearsal room before you go to the recording place or whatever, and to try and have some human interaction, because that's where rock and metal comes from. Analog, you know, it's kind of like, as I said before, analog living in a digital world. If you're making digital music or electronic music, I don't know if you really need these kind of things. But if you're going to rehearse with a band in a room, then I think trying to find a place where you can go to make that your own space, your own little sanctuary, whatever you want to call it, your refuge, I think is a really, really important idea. But like I said, I think for metal, making noise, being in a room with other people, so you can, you know, you can get a feel for their the physical intonations in the room, the mood, you can argue, you can fight, you can have that drink or smoke together, or whatever it is, but it's important and that we shouldn't allow ourselves to slip into a world of ease and convenience, which is what Primordial did by going to this other room. And it was totally uninspiring, and we suffered, the band suffered because of it, because no one enjoyed going there. Okay, we're still in each other's company, uh, which was, you know, is something. But at the same time, nobody, you didn't look forward to rehearsing. It seemed like every time you went there, it was freezing cold and lashing wind and rain to get there. I'd arrive pissed off and grumpy and just in no humour to sit there for three hours in this whitewashed room with tiny little lamps and then everybody just disappear. So convenience um, convenience can often kill the creative instinct. And so I would say try and not just settle for convenience. And convenience can also mean, hey, hey, get on Zoom, plug your guitar into your, you know, your interface here and let's just rehearse with little headphones on and look at each other like screens. I really rail against that because I think that I really wonder, has a great rock song, real rock song ever come out of that kind of thing? I think you need to be in a room with other people. You need to feel the vibration of other people, not to get all hippy-dippy about it, but we shouldn't just slip into a world of ease and convenience. Um, and make the space, if you've got somewhere, if you're really lucky enough, you make the space somewhere you feel like you want to write. I remember descending the stairs into the Marduk rehearsal room, which is in Linköping or Norrköping in, in Sweden, and you just, you know, it's like an old military bunker, as I remember correctly, you you know come down the stairs and there's just all Morgan's guitars and flags and posters and Marduk stuff everywhere. Okay, they're lucky enough to have um, like a, there was even a little kitchenette. There was a couch. I mean, you could realistically live there, and I know plenty of musicians who've lived in their rehearsal space. But when you walked in, you were in the Marduk rehearsal room. Same with Disaster. Same with a whole bunch of bands that I've been lucky enough to ended up sitting there and you know having a few beers and watching them rehearse, and you felt. You're in this little world together and this is where the magic is made. And it isn't made, as I said, in a whitewash room. And I also don't think it's made at the end of a screen with just people, you know, squares looking at each other who never end up um, meeting, you know. My friend said to me, you got to stop saying, you know, you know. Anyway, yeah. It's one of those things we do uh, where I'm just trying to think of the next sentence. So it's like, rather than go, eh, like I used to have a teacher in college years and years ago. He used to say the same, he used to say the same sentence backwards and forwards. He would say, let's say, what, I, what did I just say? Uh, I don't advocate, I don't advocate rehearsing online um, or just sending each other sound files. And then he would stop and he'd go, I wouldn't send sound files and rehearsing online is something I wouldn't advocate. So 
you know, it's the lesser of two evils saying, you know. Anyway, but if you're lucky enough to have a kind of space that you can make your own, I don't know, go crazy. Have like lots of billowing throws and candles and posters of the Buddha on the wall. Whatever it takes to make that space have a little bit of personality, because that's what we're talking about here, is the creation of a space that you feel like you've retreated from the world to find a sanctuary with other people to be involved in this human process with each other. And I would say try to be mentally prepared, physically prepared. Um, have a drink if you're able to, if you're not driving, or if you're not driving or whatever, um, says 50s dad. But no, it's to kind of, it doesn't show or it doesn't work, you know, showing up blitzed or going out the night before and being wasted or whatever. At least, um, you know, I didn't when I, you know, went out. But you know what I mean? Finding a place and time where you feel calm and relaxed to write is very difficult for some people. The temptation when you write online, I think, is to, and this is sort of important, when you write online, I think the temptation is to reproach songwriting digitally, that they are there to be riff after riff after riff, to be cut and pasted together. You don't really jam as you do in a jam room where you just play a riff and something cool comes out of it. Dread Sovereign is like that. It's a kind of a jammy band. I might play a riff. Hooli will come in and do his thing over it and something falls into place. And that was the way I think bands used to do it. But if your proclivity is to rehearse online, you'll be very tempted to just go idea one, idea two, idea three, cut them together, cut and paste. I'm just putting a song together like a jigsaw not consider the atmosphere as a whole. I think it's... Um, a pitfall that is quite easy to fall into and I think part of being the singer is at least to try and get um, get a more broad overview of the song because you're not involved essentially in the moving parts of the song you're like what sits on top of it or whatever so you have some I feel extra responsibility on some level um, so what I try and do is sit and pay attention when the guys are rehearsing a riff um, how it works how it works with Promoted, at least, is one of the lads will have a riff, an idea. They start to play. We all listen, which is super, it's super important if you are singing. Show up to the rehearsals, even if you're only going to sit there. Uh, you need to put the hours in to be present in the room with everybody else to get the feeling, the intonation of the song, the atmosphere, um, and you not to just go, oh, I'm not going to be used today. I'm just going to stay at home. That's the easy way out, I think, of being a singer in a band and just never showing up. So as everyone is joining in, learning the riffs, don't be afraid to sound stupid and jump up and sing something ridiculous. Um, and this is something I had to overcome because you feel like you're not really taking part in the song if you're singing sometimes. You know, making noises on the vocals, nonsense words, a couple of wow, wow, wows or whatever. You've got to get an idea of the pitch and the tone and try and get a measure of the song. I've paired lyrics, in my opinion, seamlessly with the tone of the riff now and again, almost instantly. Like, say, Wheel Lightning to Split the Sun. Kieran was playing it, everybody jammed in together, and I just thought, I know what lyrics go with this, and you hit the mark. But other songs, I've completely missed the mark. And if you aren't there, you aren't in the room, the chances of you missing the mark are far more profound. And if you are not in the same room as anyone you're writing with, I think missing the mark is its going to happen much more. So I think that one of the keys to rehearsing is to be present, is for everyone to be present and to not carry a member who's like, oh, I don't want to come out today, blah, blah. It's much more easy to just sit on the couch and go, oh, it's a bit cold and rainy today. But rehearsing does take a certain amount of discipline, which is important, I think, to try and stick to the date, stick to the time, not call it off because you've been out on the piss or whatever, which is, you know, look, it can happen every now and again, of course. 
Now, I can't write lyrics while just sitting in my workroom here. Um, I need some other space. Now, the truth be told, um, often I found myself writing lyrics on my phone, which is a strange thing. You know, it's getting serious when I start to write them down on paper, old school, putting the pen to the paper. Um, And then you start crossing things out, changing the words. I have books and books and books that go back years with loads of words. And sometimes I go back and read something I wrote in 1995, honestly, or 1997. I go, that's an interesting turn of phrase. And I take it and I rewrite it again. And I see if it might fit into something I've newly written. And keeping those books is very important. Again, it's that, uh, you know, it's that ownership of something analog, i.e. pen and paper. Just keeping things on your phone, which of course you can lose and then you're screwed, right? But I still... Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive in June. Olive in June gives you Everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I'll hold my phone out and play the guitar into it, or I still do a few na-na-na-nas into it now and again. Prompts of ideas, talking to myself. But again, it's a good idea to get out the pen and paper. Then you start crossing things out, changing words, looking for titles, sketching, making little doodles of what you might think might be the artwork. Um, but certainly be be really uh, beware of keeping everything on your phone. 
as you might lose it. You're screwed. Don't keep all your ideas digitally as you can get locked out of them. You can lose phones. You can lose, you know, you can spill your coffee over your laptop that morning and go, oh, fuck, all my files are in that laptop, all the songs I was working on. Um, again, I suppose it's part of my ideas or principles around the, hey, you will own nothing and you will be happy. No, okay, I said there'd be no politics. What I mean is um, to actually have corporeal physical things. A guitar is a corporeal physical thing, but when you write to try and give it more life than just files, which is why I always advocate for trying to find a rehearsal room to be in the room together and not just trade files. And I said at the top of the, at the start of the podcast, one other thing is um, part of being in a band, it's a kind of, it's a, it, there's a broad politics to being in a band. It's kind of like being in a long relationship if you've been in a band for X amount of years. You get to know the politics that sometimes underpin how things are. But it's a, but it's a mixture. It's, um, you know, there is a, there is a, a, a band politic. There is compromises to be made. But it's kind of like being, um, you know, a dictator in a democracy all at the same time. Because when you're sure about something, um, you try not to be a cunt about it. But, you know, you when you're sure of your intuition, um, you think, I have an idea. I mentioned Will Lightning to Split the Sun, so I'll continue with that as a, an example. When I started to sing that, I had the words, I found them. They were fully formed, already written. I'd, I'd written them actually in one go in about 20 minutes. Um, I was just on a trip somewhere and I can't remember where it was, but it was a really beautiful setting. And I thought to myself, here's a simple hymn to nature. Here's something simple. Let the wolf and man run free, etc. Um, and as soon as the song started playing, I went, that's it. That's, that's the lyrics that fit this tone. And in the studio, no one liked the singing. Everyone was like, this is a weird meter. It's a weird style. It doesn't go with the beat. And I just went, no, just believe me. Believe me when I say that this is, my intuition tells me that this is the way it's going to be. And after a couple of ar arguments and doing it my own way, um, it came to pass that that, you know, you followed your intuition and everybody went, yeah, okay, we see what you mean now. And it works. Now, this is something that you learn, intuition instinct you learn when it seems to make sense or when it doesn't make sense and that is one of the most complicated things about a band because there is a temptation sometimes to try and control the situation for the sake of it to make it something personal and you do this when you're young you're like this is my band i want to stamp my authority on proceedings and this is one of the main reasons why bands split up because one or other member doesn't learn um, you don't learn from situations to go, you know, this is a moment where I think I'm going to have to take the stand and go, OK, it's my turn to preach for a little while. But to know when to get off the pulpit and stop preaching is also this is the, this is a very difficult skill to learn. So what you hope is that everybody learns this process together. You learn to trust your instinct. You learn to go if you go to the drummer. Really, is that the beat you're going to play? Um, you know, if you've had a bad day, you're pissed off with whatever's going on and you want to not... You should be using the band to take out those frustrations anyway, but when you end up taking them out on other people within the band, this is when you're not learning from your intuition because they might be doing the same thing as you. Um, or whoever in the band is, might be saying, it's their turn to hold the hand up and go, okay, look, give me the reins and let me run with this. And over the years, you learn to trust each other, learn to trust each other and your own intuition. Now, here's the skill. The skill is, the skill is a couple of things. But the main skill is to try and understand your own intuition and to realize um, when you're bringing everybody down a blind alley. Um, 
and to see that you're wasting time, you're wasting energy, you're wasting moments that you could be spent on something else. Um, it's a very difficult process because it's one of the most complicated things to be able to hold your hand up and say, all right, look, I fucked that one up. That was wrong. Let's go back to where we were a couple of hours ago. Sorry about that. Because it's a game of percentages. Sometimes you might come out with the most incredible thing. Sometimes you come into the rehearsal room and you take a song off in a completely different direction with a different um, arrangement of notes or maybe, hey, change the key. The skill of quitting while you're ahead, the skill of knowing when your intuition is leading you somewhere great or somewhere down a blind alley. And this is something you learn and you also try and trust each other to do that. So sometimes trying to put the foot down over an idea or I'm sure it's going to go this way. This can work against you if you're not prepared. And that's kind of what I would call the second sight of songwriting is the ability to know. Um, what can we say? The ability to know when you're following your intuition down somewhere really, really positive when everybody else thinks it doesn't make any sense. And also the ability to know the contrary. And also to understand that um, if you are lucky enough to have somebody in your band or somebody you play with who you consider a kind of a genius at the songwriting or has an incredible talent for composing, um, then you're going to have to give them a little bit more leeway than everybody else to lead you down blind alleys because they bring you out and illuminate you more in the long run. Now, I don't consider myself one of those people. Certainly not. How it works for me is that you've got to trust in your talent and intuition to a degree, but you've got to do some heavy lifting, carry some water, um, push the parts you are able to do to the maximum of your ability. This, of course, doesn't mean you have to be the most musical, um, but just try and play to your strengths. I would never say that I am a great singer um, or anything like this. There are people I know who are great singers, but you've got to do the best of what you've got. And what you've also got to learn is this is the, these are the things that I do very well. And let's, you know, try and um, build up the ramparts around those kind of things to make them impregnable, to make yourself um, as strong as possible in the areas you're able to and try and learn from what you can from the other areas. So as I said, if lyrics and arrangements and structures are your strength, but you need to work on finding your voice, I would say then be prepared with lyrics, be prepared with your ideas and be ready, be kind of ready in the rehearsal room. Even if this means, as I said, sitting around for hours and hours doing nothing to be in the zone when you're called upon or also jump, be able to jump up and just make a fool of yourself and go, and you know, maybe you've heard the demos of Injustice for All. Um, a lot of times James Heffield just sings na, 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 wah, wah, wah lyrics, but just to get the feel of where the lyrics are supposed to go and the tone. Now, life doesn't generally get easier and more calm as we get older, get older. So finding the time and space to write when you have kids and responsibilities and all the rest, it does get harder and harder. And I'll assume you aren't making a living from it. But more and more musicians I see uh, approaching writing like it's making content. Yesterday, actually, only, I was watching the guys from Mayhem um, and Revocation write a song together. Yeah, two guitar players. It was quite a nice idea and it sounded pretty cool. And as a process to watch, it definitely was good content. Um, is it odd to try and write an album, for example, in public like this? It certainly seems very modern. It seems like, I mean, they were both playing the guitar. There's no doubt about it. Uh, but they were still, um, of course, separated by a huge geographical distance. So it was a very interesting experiment. But is it odd to try and write an album like this? It certainly seems like a good way to create a ready-made audience, to have content. Um, 
But then does that mean that the content is more attractive than the music? It's hard to say, but it certainly was very symptomatic of the world that we live in. Um, I wouldn't be against it per se, but the idea of publicly writing in the moment, um, very interesting for people to view from the outside. Does it help you? Could it help you write better songs? I'm unsure about that. But they're both engaging characters and they were writing in the moment while looking at each other. And I think that was pretty important. Important. So what I would say about rehearsing is to be prepared with some words, some riffs, some ideas, um, something to step off from and to try and make um, the space somewhere you feel away from the pressures of the world to be able to write, if such a thing is possible. Or find a place. Maybe it's a it's an empty bar at two o'clock on a Friday. You know it's going to be empty or somewhere where you can go and take the pen and paper or you can go. Um, I'm, I'm not sure you can really just show up to an empty bar with a guitar, but some other room in the house, somewhere else. I think that's one of the biggest problems we have today is because we're so bombarded with information, we feel so cluttered constantly. So trying to make the space to be able to be creative. And it's not just for songwriting. It could be painting, it could be sculpture, it could be whatever. Because the idea these days as, um, you know, rents are pushing through the roof and uh, having your own space becomes more financially exorbitant and so much more costly Um the idea of having a small piece of real estate somewhere in your city or your town where you can retreat to to write is more and more difficult. Finding that space is much more important um, or finding a space that you can make for your own to be able to give you the calm, clear headspace to be able to create is, I think, step one in all of this. You've also got to learn, I think, to leave the argument. I don't know, let's say the arguments you're having in your relationship, your office, your nine to five. Try and leave that alone. Put the phone away for the couple of hours in rehearsal and try and be in the moment in the room and absorb everyone's uh, body language, their, their moods, their the tones, the way they're saying things. And also because, you know, during lockdown, all of this at least was taken from us. The ability to rehearse and be in a room with other people. And there was a part of me that before lockdown had, I admit, felt a bit jaded and tired of rehearsing. But now I look forward to it. I look forward to the human process. It's just, it's, I'm not going to say it's, um, you know, um, I owe that to the process of lockdown or whatever else. But certainly it made me reappreciate and reevaluate that human process that is being in a room with other people, being creative with them and to value it quite an awful lot more. So those are the kind of three main things I think um, that sort of go, that sort of can be your springboard to being creative. Now, I would say when recording, is, um, when recording, you know, well, let's let's just park that for a moment. Let's just say this. There has to become a, per- um, a percentage where you feel like a song is taking flesh to its bones. With Primordial, it's about, I, I think of things like 40, 50, 60% of the song. When it begins to have a lyrics and name, giving songs. People don't really realise this about bands, but very often you give your songs silly song titles. You know, um, No Nation on This Earth, um, whatever the riff goes. Oh, that's a different riff, isn't it? Anyway, it's, you know, they're all the same. Um, the Seasick Song. No Nation on This Earth was called the Seasick Song because for some reason um, the riff reminded everyone of just being on a boat or something. But it's very important in the beginning to give your songs silly names so you can begin to differentiate them if they're just file one file two file three they have no personality yet so um for example um i know he's listening but to the hell of the hangman we used to call it eric's cattle raid because it reminded us somehow reminded us of like um 
a farmer in a field um, calling all his, um, you know, moving cattle across the field. And it was a kind of like a goth style song. And then the bass comes in and it's got this post-punk feel. Um, and Eric is a friend of ours who's, uh, you know, the, the king of the goths in Ireland. And so the song was named after him and, you know, goths, Eric's cattle raid. Yes, indeed. Um, what you're trying to do there is, <clears throat> how can I say, tap into, to tap into the air of... Um, childlike enthusiasm that goes with the original reasons why you started songwriting, you know, back when you were a teenager or something. Um, An element of playfulness, a little devilish playfulness, where before you've got things fully worked out, you're giving things personality. And that personality is kind of born from being in a room with other people. It's, you know, feeding off their sense of humour, their sense of, um, you know, as I said, devilish playfulness, whatever you want to call it. And that sort of little Loki-like behaviour. Um, and still, after all these years, we all we still in bands make each other laugh. And that's part of what comes of being in the room with people that I think you lose with um, extracting our humanity from that um, analogue process. So I very much would encourage that kind of thing. Um, and in the same process, don't be afraid to make a fool of yourself. Um, I mean, that's the fool of yourself that desires to get up on stage Um and it will mean making a fool of yourself as part of the process and driving everyone down that blind alley with an idea, but not being too proud to go, you know what, I fucked that up. Um, let's go back to where we were and start again. Apologies. That's just how it is. And what I would say, and it sounds really stupid, is but nothing happens until you pick up that pen or the guitar. Um, nothing happens until you actually make the jump into being proactive. You know, a song isn't going to come to you quite just out of the ether. Although, I will say this um, and let you into a kind of a weird personal, that's not really a secret, is it? But um, when I write songs for Dread Sovereign, very often I think about numbers. Um, I think about the notes on the fretboard, not as in C to G sharp to F or whatever, but the numbers on the, on the fretboard. And I think about the notes that connect to those numbers. So I have this weird numerical shorthand and sometimes I write songs on my phone um, as just like 1-333 uh, bracket 1, 4, 7, 11, 11, 11, 10, 9, 8, etc. And I don't play the guitar at all. I think about the song and I go to the parts and I write them down on the phone. I could be sitting on a train or something. Um, and then eventually I pick up the guitar and play along to my shorthand. Uh, I guess it's kind of like a butcher thinking about what goes into the sausage, but not actually making the damn sausage, right? Well, something like that. If you can make sense of that insanity, I don't know. It's uh, It sounds more romantic than it is. Um, it's not really that romantic. It's not like synesthesia or whatever you want to call it. But it certainly is. You think about where the notes are on the guitar and then you write them down as numbers accordingly. So I'm going to try... What I was trying to do is trying to make a sort of little... Um, progress on the process of songwriting and the, and the attitudes and the things that go into it to try and make it um, a positive experience or make something worthwhile come out of it. And I'll do another one next time, maybe about what you do more practically as a band member or as a musician, about how you begin to get the platforms ready, about the aesthetics, the artwork, sussing out the studio, recording techniques, if people want to hear that. But what, where they, all this came from is somebody said to me, does the perfect song exist? Um, I don't really think so, but there are songs that fall into place very quickly because you can tell, you can just tell. And that, that being able to tell thing, that's, that's the magic. That's the skill you learn. 
that's the intuition, that's the instinct. So when you, when you first, when I first heard Kieran play Coffin Ships, it's just like, oh, okay, I know what this is going to be. Or Empire Falls. You just have that, your spidey sense tingles and you go, ah, okay, here's one. And they don't come along that often. There's a couple of them on every album. Not to say that the songs I dislike, there isn't. But there are some songs you can just, you can just tell straight away. And then you get that sense, the song begins to get 50, 60% done, starts to take shape. And some songs you can remain unconvinced until you hear the final mix. Like, say, for me, the Black 100 on Redemption. Until I heard the final mix, I still wasn't convinced. But others, it's almost instantaneous. It's like being struck by lightning, so to speak. And right away you can hear it's something special. But again, knowing when they are something special, this is the task. And not allowing something which has potential to end up lost on some digital device that no one can charge up. Um, to, to, to keep it in the realm of the physical somehow. Now, that's a skill, knowing which are dead ends and which are live wires. Oh, yes, pun intended. Uh, sometimes it's going to be you against everyone else's intuition, and you've got to be able to either stand up for yourself or also to back down. Um, modern society has such a, made such a virtue of doubling down and not giving in. Sometimes you have to. Um, and I think songwriting is a, is a good example of that. As it's going to be you against everybody else. The power of self-editing is a complex one. Now, Primordial has never been a band who have had an excess of songs. But for example, on Exile, there was one song that really didn't make it. And we all sort of knew it. The basic tracks were going down. We all looked at each other and went, nah, this one ain't going anywhere, is it? Let's just pack that one away. Sometimes you fight your heel to die on. For example, on the last album, Stolen Years, uh, one of the best songs I think Primordial ever wrote. A beautiful song. Um, really, really beautiful, but originally intended as an instrumental by Kieran. If you've got the CD of it, uh, you'll find the instrumental on the bonus disc. But I, as soon as I heard it, I went, no, no, I have to sing over this. And I had the lyrics right then and there, and I thought, this, this has to be on that. And there was a big fight, a lot of arguing, everything. Now, Kieran got his way by having the song also on the bonus disc, but in the fullness of time, it's become a, a pretty special song. And I tried to follow my instinct and intuition. And, you know, there's a fight, but that's part of the creative process because you're in the room together. And probably if we were just trading files, that never that song probably never would have come to life. It would have just stayed um, as a beautiful thing that Kieran just played in his, you know, in his room on his own or whatever you want to say. Anyway, my friends... Agitators Anonymous episode 142 is just a rough ramble about songwriting, about the process, about being prepared, about following intuition, all that vague stuff, vague stuff. Forgive me, I'd started another podcast about politics and it bored even myself. So I just went, fuck that, let's try and discuss something a bit more ethereal about songwriting and being creative. And it's part one. What I'm going to do is a part two about trying to be a bit more concrete about how you should approach the aesthetic, the artwork, all those kind of things. Until then, next Tuesday, I will see you once again. Pray for no politics, my friends. Agitators Anonymous, over and out.